title of my message this morning is JOMO, The Joy of Missing Out. In 2003, a young man was attending Harvard Business School. His name was Patrick McGinnis, and Patrick wrote an article. He was a young man. He and his friends were ambitious. They were fairly wealthy, and they were trying to live their life to the fullest. They crammed all their schedules with parties and with events and as many adventures and as many vacations as they could take. But they didn't really ever enjoy themselves. There was this nagging feeling that Patrick had that somebody somewhere was having a better time than he was and that he was missing out on something. And so the feeling McGinnis had was what he called phobo, the fear of better options. Later, it was rebranded FOMO, the fear of missing out. And in your, bu- in your bulletin, if you got one, there's a little bulletin insert that will have some of those definitions for you and some blanks you can fill in so you don't fall asleep on me this morning. If you were like me, you might have stayed up a little late, I don't know, watching a big football game. No biggie. Uh, just if I could sit this right here somewhere. It's one of my Christmas presents. I don't know. I was... I was like, Jesus, Clemson loves you. They really, really love you. If you could help them win, that'd be fantastic. So anyway, just so you don't fall asleep. All right, moving on. So uh, FOBO, the fear of better options, then became FOMO, the fear of missing out. And... McGinnis wrote, he said, all you wanted to do was live life to the fullest at every second. You felt the need to do everything all the time because you'd seen your own mortality. Now, in our day and age, texting and social media have only made FOMO worse. People post pictures of their meals at fancy restaurants, inciting envy among their followers and their friends. They're like, man, they're eating so much better than I am I'm, as I'm eating green beans out of a can. <clears throat> People post pictures of themselves on vacation having so much fun, which caused maybe their friends to skip paying rent and spend the money instead on a cruise or on a vacation to Hawaii so that they can have a better experience than their friends have. This cycle of FOMO led to something that professionals, counselors called Decision paralysis. People were so caught up with all their options to do things and the fear that what they chose might not be as much fun as what their friends chose that they couldn't make a decision. My wife, my wife's family, they enjoy going on cruises. And so when you go on a cruise, they give you this pamphlet with all of the excursions you can take. You can swim with dolphins. You can feed manta rays. You can... You can jet ski and, and go deep sea fishing and do all these parasailing, all these fun things. And you've got so many options and it can be hard to choose because you're like, well, what if, what if the manta ray turns and attacks me? You know, what if the dolphins, you know, come after me in the, in the pod? And, you know, what if parasailing? I don't like flying. I don't like heights, you know. And, but you're, you're so afraid that what you, what you choose won't be as fun as what your friends or your relatives or people on the boat chose, and so you choose not to decide anything. <clears throat> they, uh, 
the author of this article, Patrick McGinnis, he said that they could not commit to going to just one party because what if a better option presented itself? They would miss out. Now, if you think that the fear of missing out, FOMO, is a recent phenomenon, you're actually incorrect. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 10. And the Bible is not silent on the issue of FOMO. We see it in Luke chapter 10 in a story with Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. It says, if you don't have your Bibles, you can look up on the screen with me. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And as she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Don't they sound like siblings? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So let me set the scene for you. This appears to be the very first meeting with Mary and Martha. Jesus comes into town. Martha invites him into their home. And it would be an honor for a well-known rabbi to enter your house. And so Jesus accepted the invitation. He came inside and he began to teach people who were there as well. Mary sat down at Jesus' feet and listened to him. Amazed at his authority and his knowledge. But while Jesus was dropping some serious knowledge, Martha was in the kitchen trying to be a good hostess. She chose to be busy. She chose to be distracted by the things that she thought were important. Being a host, being a hostess is important. People who have the gift of hospitality are amazing, wonderful people. Martha probably had that gift. Mary did not. And I think I I came across an example, this one mother who has figured out how to be a balance between Mary and Martha. She has figured out the key to family mealtime, which I think uh, is probably one of the biggest stressors among moms in the family, family mealtime. So what she does is she makes the food ahead of time and freezes it. And instead of labeling it as meatloaf, lasagna, chicken parmesan, she labels each package with the words whatever, anything. I don't know. So when she asks her family what they want for dinner, she's sure to have whatever they want. When she says, "Uh, honey, what would you like for dinner? Whatever. I've got that. Hold on. She pulls it out of the freezer. When she asks her kid, kids, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. Hold on. That's in the freezer. It's tough to be a good host. It's tough to take care of other people's needs, especially if nobody seems to notice or appreciate your efforts. When Martha realized that she was the only one working and Mary was not helping out at all, she interrupted Jesus. She interrupted the Son of God 
teaching these people in her home. And she said, Lord, don't you care? Aren't you concerned? Does it interest you at all to know that Mary has left me behind to do all of the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. You'd almost think they were teenagers. Martha had an extreme case of FOMO because she was in the kitchen knowing that she was missing out on what Jesus was doing. She was missing out on the teaching, missing out on the fellowship, missing out on the discipleship. But in all of her busyness and all of her worry, anxiety and frustration started to build inside of her. She was in the kitchen cooking, probably making a lot of racket because she was in there by herself making some lasagna because nobody is helping me. But you got to be careful with the dishes. But the pots and pans, you can slam around a little bit. Slam the cupboards. Jesus replied to her because she's interrupted him. She's now taken center stage. So he replied to her, Martha, Martha, Martha. You are worried and you're bothered by so many things, but there's only one thing that's important. One thing that you should have busied yourself with, and that's what Mary chose. You chose FOMO. And she chose JOMO. The joy of missing out on all of the things that you're doing. You were busy in the kitchen and you knew that you were missing out on what I was doing. You were missing out on the fellowship and the teaching. Mary made a choice to be with me in this special and joyful moment and pay no attention to what anybody else was doing. And I won't take that away from her. I won't tell her to join you in the kitchen. I'm not going to tell her to leave this more important moment with me to help you cook. Instead, do what Mary's doing. Jesus wasn't trying to make Martha feel guilty. He's trying to teach her what's really important in the moment. Life is short. And Jesus' time on this earth was really short. He had a limited amount of time that he would be able to be here and spend time with people and to teach them. We have to not be lured into spending our time and our energy into doing things that are not the most important for the moments that we have. The best cure for the fear of missing out is realizing the joy of missing out on some things. Now here's here's a deep truth that you need to remember and realize and you can fill in in your sheet. It says this, It's so easy to get busy working for God that we stop communing with God. It's so easy to get busy working for God that we forget we stop communing with God. I was invited some men over to our home, and we had a small group, home group in our house many years ago. And so the men went, well, we invited men and women, and so the women stayed in one area, and they were talking and praying together, and the men went in another area. And so where the men went, I had all my bookshelves, and I got a lot of books, and I haven't read them all, but I've inherited a lot. I bought a lot, and uh, so this guy who was in our home for the very first time, 
um, was looking at all my books. And uh, <clears throat> then he, t- now I've literally just met this guy. He's in my home for the very first time. This is our very first conversation. He looks at all my books, probably hundreds and hundreds of books in my bookshelves. And he turns to me and he says, you know a lot about God, but my question to you is, do you really know God? Bro, we just met. And you're in my house. But it's true, a lot of times we can easily get caught up in learning about God as opposed to getting to know God, who God is. And who God is is not fully revealed and discovered by reading a book. I shared this a couple weeks ago. I walked in a Christian bookstore, and all of the bestsellers, all of the the biggest, most popular selling books in the Christian bookstores are all Christian living. And what that means is that they're books written by people who have experienced God, and they write a book so that you can experience their experiences. This is secondhand and thirdhand faith. These are not experiences that you get. These are experiences they have, and maybe you can learn something from them. And that's not bad, but that is never to take the place of you getting in that quiet place with the Lord, you wrestling with God, you praying for your lost loved ones. You know, it, it, all of Christianity, all of our spiritual experience cannot be boiled down into 10 easy steps. And almost every Christian bestseller on there is, you know, 10 steps to have your best life now, 10 steps to have spiritual, uh, 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 financial wealth and, and, you know, all of this stuff. And it, it can't be boiled down in that. You've got to get in there and you've got to have a relationship with the Lord. My parents were pastors. My granddad was an evangelist and so on and so on. I cannot piggyback off of their relationship with the Lord. I need a relationship with the Lord because when, when the heat gets turned up, when problems come, come knocking and uh, opposition hits me, I can't go to my dad or go to my grandfather and say, well, what should I do? I need to have a relationship with the Lord, that God is my God, that I never say, well, great is your God. It's my God, and I need to have a relationship with the Lord. It's easy to get busy working for God that we stop communing with God, and nobody knows that better than pastors. Because it's easy for us to associate our ministry work with devotion to God. It's easy for for pastors to look at the time we spend preparing our sermons as a spiritual discipline. The time we, we spend, you know, choosing scripture references as Bible reading. It's easy for pastors to do that. And it's like treating a mealtime prayer like a spiritual discipline. Well, we, we prayed over the spaghetti, so I've prayed today. Lord, please don't let me, you know, die. I mean, I don't know what's in the spaghetti, but, you know, don't help it. Help whatever health and safety food things that are, were not good, you know, just cover that and, and heal this plate of food so that I don't choke and die and get allergic reaction or whatever. A prayer over your dinner is not the same as calling out to God to to save your children, to protect our missionaries, to move on somebody's heart to be open to the gospel. It is definitely not the same. Our society is completely backwards in its priorities. It promotes achievement. It promotes ambition, consumption, and self-realization 
over a relationship with the living God. And that self-help mentality has infiltrated even Christianity. Yet God is our creator. He's our savior. And what good is life if not reflecting God's glory and following God's plan? Each morning, we get up, we get ready, we get dressed, and we get started on our day. We fight traffic to get to work. We work hard. We take a lunch break. And we work hard for a few more hours until it's time to fight traffic to go home. We walk in the door emotionally, mentally, and physically spent from the day. One person called this sunset fatigue. It's when we come home to those who love us most and need us most, but they only get our emotional and mental and physical leftovers. Sunset fatigue is when we're too tired, too drained, or too occupied to love the people to whom we have made the deepest promises and made the deepest commitments. And that's also including God. All of Martha's rushing around to serve Jesus and serve the disciples was draining her. Her fear of missing out was causing her to develop sunset fatigue. When she was finally done in the kitchen, she would sit down, but she'd sit down at the feet of Jesus exhausted. Probably right when they were standing up to leave. She chose not to enjoy Jesus' presence while he was clearly wanting to spend time with everyone in the home. There was a pastor serving in a church in Paraguay. One day, a native man named Raphael visited the place where the pastor was staying. And the pastor asked him what he wanted. Raphael replied, I don't want anything. I just want to come near. He just wanted to sit on the pastor's porch and be near his new friend. He wanted to enjoy his presence and ignore all of the other things that he might be missing out on. Sometimes we can treat our weekly worship service like an obligation. We come to church because it's expected or because it's a habit or because we think it will make us a better person. But that's not the way to approach worship. Worship is about Jomo, the joy of missing out on everything else to experience the most important thing, the presence of God. Jesus wants you to experience joy of living in the moment. When I was a kid, all I could ever think about was the next step of my life. Turning 14 and going into high school. Turning 16 and being able to drive. Turning 18 and graduating and being a legal adult. Turning 21, and for me as a preacher's kid, going into a Bible college, turning 21 literally meant nothing. For For some people, that's, yeah, let's go drinking. For me... That would have gotten me kicked out of Bible college. So, but you have all these benchmarks. You know, the year 2000 was always a big one. I couldn't wait to the year 2000. We're going to have flying cars and, and, you know, all sorts of things. 2000 came and went. And the only thing that that we learned about Y2K was we were worried that our toasters wouldn't work uh, when, when 1999 turned into 2000. And we were clearly wrong for all of that. 
But it's always the next step. I can't wait till I get this. I can't wait till I'm, you know, get married. I can't wait till I have kids. I can't wait till I, you know, get this job. I can't wait. And we're always looking. And it's not bad to have a five-year plan, 10-year plan. It's not bad to have goals. But when you're always looking in the distant future, you're not in the moment. You're not enjoying the process. It's a journey. It's not a destination. So you need to enjoy the journey. Uh, Pastor and author Erwin McManus, he wrote, What if you knew somewhere in front of you was a moment that would change your life forever? A moment rich with potential. A moment filled with endless possibilities. How would you treat that moment? How would you prepare for that moment? The only moment that you must take responsibility for right now is the one in front of you. The moment you are in right now wants to be seized. Every moment is an opportunity for us to draw near to God or to slink farther away from him. If you've ever been afraid of missing out on anything, it needs to be the fear of missing out on what God is doing. If we're going to spend our lives chasing something, we should be pursuing our relationship with God because God is in the moment. He's in this moment. And it's God that we don't want to miss. So as we head into 2020, here are practical ways to experience JOMO. Number one, be intentional with your time. Be intentional with your time. Schedule things that are important to you. Block off time for devotional time, for prayer time, time with your spouse, time with your kids, Time to grow as a leader in your industry. Time for working out. Time for completing that project you've been saying you would. If you're not intentional with your time, you will uh, waste it. And so you'll discover at the end of the year, man, you know, some of you are going to set these New Year's resolutions. I will ask you, how did you do on your 2019 resolutions? And for some of you, not so well. If you're looking at me, I feel like I have not done so well with my New Year's resolution. Get in better shape. Hey, round is a shape. And I'm getting in the best round shape I possibly can. One of my New Year's resolutions was to spend five minutes every day with an app called Duolingo because I wanted to learn French. Ask me how well I've done. I did five minutes a day for about the first week. But because I was not intentional, because I didn't send a reminder on my phone, I just basically said, if I think about it, if I have time, I'll do it. So I probably know like 10 words in French, and I can't even pronounce them correctly. Be intentional with your time. Make your time a priority instead of wasting it, worrying about what other people are doing. Out of all the resources that God gives you in this life, your, your money, people, And time, time is the one resource you will never get back. When it is spent, it is gone. And you never get it back. So be intentional with how you spend your time. Number two, practice saying no. Practice saying no. Now, there are plenty of times as a parent I would say no. We'd be driving home right across from our subdivision. Was, uh, in my opinion, as a parent, a poorly placed uh, business It was a snow cone factory. And so every time we're driving home, the kids would say, can we get snow cones? No. And and 
I became a no man. I was like, no, no, absolutely not. Never in a million years. We don't have the money. We don't have the time. Boom, boom, boom. I'd come up with all these reasons. I'd say no. And one day, one of the kids spoke up and said, hey, Dad, can we get some snow cones? And I said, no. And they're like, oh, okay. And I turned into the subdivision, and I thought, why did I say no to that? Why did I say no to that? And so I turned and turned and turned, and we left the subdivision, and I came back and pulled in like, I thought you said we weren't getting snow cones. I'm like, I can change my mind if I want to. Let's get snow cones, and you're going to be happy about it. So I'm not talking about that. I mean, there are times when, when we, we, uh, we say no when we really should say yes. I'm talking about the times we say yes when we really should be saying no. The times we commit to do something that is not the best use of our time. Uh, we say yes to something that is a waste of our time. We say yes to something that is not going to be beneficial to us. Learn to say no. No to the time wasters. Some of you, you need to say no to some of the apps on your phone because it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of your money. It's, uh, uh, it puts uh, temptations in your path. Some of you, when arguments present themselves on Facebook, and I'm preaching to myself, I need to say no. I need to, so, I need to say, oh, the Lord bless them. They're just, they're just uninformed. And sometimes I'll, I'll hand my phone to my wife. I'm like, there's someone wrong on the Internet. This is really difficult for me right now. Angela's just like, it's okay. It's okay. Take a deep breath and push the power button, and the argument disappears. I'm like, no, it's still there. You don't always have to take that phone call. When you're with family time, it can go to voicemail. Then you can check the voicemail, see if it's an emergency. If it's an emergency, call them back. If it's not an emergency, let it go. It can wait till tomorrow. You don't always have to reply. And again, I'm preaching to myself because I do this as well. I, I don't always have to reply to that email sent after hours. You don't have to attend every event. I learned this as a pastor. People don't expect me to come to everything. They just expect me to come to their thing. It's true. And so if you have an event, there are, there are things that go on here at Friendship Church, and Pastor Jason is noticeably absent from them because I have other commitments. I have little people and teenagers and a wife that all depend on me, and I need to be present for them. And so there are times when I say no so that I can say yes to other things. It's not that I'll say no every time. It's just I'm saying no right now, or I'm not attending this one thing or whatever because I have prior commitments. Sometimes we just need to say no, and that's okay. Number three, embrace tech-free time. Embrace tech-free time. The smartphone was supposed to liberate us. It did not liberate us. It made us slaves to technology. So, since one of my children just spoke up, I'll use, I'll use them as an example. That'll teach you. So, when they break the rules, um, when they come home with a, a you know, failing grade or a bad report card or, or we give a rule and they break it and it was intentional, it wasn't accidental, 
One of the ways that we punish them is we take away their technology. And you would have thought the world was coming to an end. I, 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 don't, I don't know how to function. I need my phone for my alarm. These children, my boys, have three alarm clocks in their bedroom already. And yet they want their phone because I, can, I wake up to my phone alarm better than my regular alarm. And I'm like, well, that's just not factually accurate at all. <clears throat> and, and for a while, they had no phones at all. And then we decided, okay, we do need to be, you know, sometimes they miss a bus. They do need to be able to get in touch with us, let us know what's going on if something's happening at the school or whatever. So we gave them dumb phones, flip phones. We called them the Kim Possible phones because they were little flip phones that clearly were made in the late 90s. All their friends have the newest iPhone this or Samsung that or whatever. And, you know, and so they, they would tease them. They would call them the Kim Possible kids um, because they had these old dumb phones. And, but we were never in a hurry to give them technology because, let me tell you something, when you give technology to somebody who's not prepared maturity-wise, you have set them up for some really bad things. Um, there are a lot of really bad things on the Internet, and it's not hard to find them at all. <clears throat> so embrace tech-free time. We have a device at our house called the Circle, and so we can actually pause people's mobile devices. We, I know. What? what? Well, we're just hearing about this now? Yes. I can shut off your Wi-Fi. If you're connected to my, my Wi-Fi, I can shut it off. I can pause your Xbox. I can pause anything that you are doing that is connected to the Internet. I can pause it. I can set time limits for it so you can't get on it after 10 o'clock at night and cannot get on it any earlier than 7 o'clock. If you have an iPhone, those things are on there as well. You can, certain, uh, you can set certain uh, restrictions. I feel like I'm giving a, a... I shouldn't be getting paid by these people for this. Circle. I'm going to go buy some stock in this device. Y'all are about to go buy a bunch of them. You can set time limits so that they can't play certain games or download certain apps or whatever. So parents, do yourselves and your kids a favor. And I know the kids are like, oh, you're restricting me. But trust me, you're, you're saving them from the worst parts of the Internet. You're really doing them a favor. And they may not realize it now. They may not thank you now. But one day when they're older and their parents and they've got kids that have seen the worst parts of the internet they'll be thankful that you did what you did we use these electronic devices to check our bank balance and to check our email and to check our calendar and download music playlists and so many other things we use them for play we use them for work we use them for fantasy football i use mine to tune my guitar you can use your smartphone to learn new instruments. You can use it to watch videos. You get the point. Our entire lives can be wrapped up in an electronic leash. If you notice that you can't leave the room without your phone in your hand, if you're out to eat and the phone has to be within arm's length at all times, you're addicted. Set limits on how, you, how long you'll spend on social media. How, set limits for playing video games, or better yet, delete some things that are wasting your time, that are causing you to experience FOMO. If you, if you follow people on Instagram 
and their vacation photos cause you to have a little bit of envy or their made-up life that they only post on, on you know, social media. Like, oh, they have such a perfect life. Delete those people. That's not real life. They don't live in this vacation wonderland. And if they do, you don't need that in your life because you do not. Richmond is not a vacation wonderland. So delete those people if you need to. Delete things that are distracting you and keeping you from being mentally present. Number four, experience real life, not social media life. JOMO allows you to have more free time by eliminating wasted time spent scrolling through social media feeds. Angela recently went through and deleted a bunch of people on Instagram. You know, influencers. Oh, you've, you've got to buy this product. You've got to do this. It's not, it's not helping. It's just cluttering your feed. In case you don't already know this, the life that a person portrays on social media is not their real life. Okay? Especially for you teenagers, you'll need to remember that. This perfectly choreographed moment in time probably took 700 photographs. The lighting has to be just right. And if you're, if you're not lucky enough to be one of those Instagram models, you're probably one of the Instagram boyfriends. That's the guy who's taking the picture. You never see his face. But he's the guy who basically goes around everywhere this individual goes and snaps pictures. <clears throat> so you only see this carefully crafted, perfectly airbrushed versions of their life that they post. Instead of spending your, your free moments wrapped up in their drama, wrapped up in their social media, wrapped up in emails or text messages, willingly disconnect from people when they interfere with your real life. Do things you enjoy with the people that you love. Go camping. Build a fire pit in your backyard. Make s'mores one night. Have a game night once a week. Just enjoy conversation in each other's company. Have dinner together as a family, not in front of the TV. It will dramatically improve the level of conversation and intimacy your family has. Number five, be here now. Be here now. When I was about six or seven years old, my mom put me in soccer. The city had a league for kids to play in. I knew absolutely nothing about soccer other than there was a ball and the point was to kick it in a net. I wasn't even sure which net. I didn't know how this worked. Because it was my first time they put me on defense. Again, don't know what that meant. Not at the time. I didn't know any positions. I didn't know what a striker was or midfielder, goalkeeper. Didn't know any of that. Didn't know drills. Didn't know strategies. We're going 4-4-3. Didn't know anything. My first game, they put me on defense. And of course, didn't know what that meant. So I was all over the field. I played a version of soccer affectionately known as beehive soccer. If you've ever watched a soccer game with children, you know exactly what that means because they all move as a hive of bees. They move together as one. They all chase the ball. And there are two things that I remember about that day. 
my very first game, I got a, a sh- it wasn't a jersey, it was just a really a t-shirt. And um, our team's sponsor was a local florist shop whose business name was on the front of our shirts, and the business name was Say It With Balloons. And my brother, I remember this distinctly, I'm six years old, but I still remember this like it was yesterday, my brother teased me and said that it should say, Say It With Baboons. I've never forgotten that. It's, it's amazing what damage your siblings can do to you through their teasing. But secondly, I remember that my brother, my mother, and my father were all there at my first game. And as far as I recall, that was the last time my father attended one of my soccer games until 10 years later when I started my first high school game. 10 years Ten years of my mother's presence and my father's absence. Yes, he was working hard for the family. Yes, he was helping people as a pastor. Yes, he was in meetings and he was writing sermons and he was leading a church. But he was not at my soccer games for ten years of playing the game. Now, I wasn't an ignored or neglected child. My parents took very good care of me. But I didn't have any other hobbies. The only thing I did was soccer. I didn't play any other sports. The only extracurricular activity I was in besides going to church, which was expected because I was the preacher's kid, was soccer. And so when I would look up at the bleachers after scoring a goal or when I made a save during my goalkeeper days or when I made a big play, I saw my mom, but not my dad. He wasn't there, not for 10 years. And I have to admit, I have been a little reluctant to get my kids involved in too many things. I did not, you know, we, at one point we had three uh, kids in three different schools, high school, middle school, and elementary school. And so three different pickup times, three different drop-off times. And I was like, you know what, it's okay if sports is not your thing. It's okay if academics isn't your thing. It's okay. You don't have to do it. It's okay. It really is okay. It was really more for me because I didn't want the inconvenience of going, you know, being the chauffeur. I was perfectly fine if my kids had no hobbies whatsoever. But that all changed one day when my daughter made the swim team. Her freshman year of high school. I was like insanely proud of her. I was like, I didn't know you were good at this. I mean, she likes to swim and stuff. I didn't know how competitive it was. She tried out, made the team. And we were like so incredibly excited for her. So practice, practice, practice. Her first swim meet comes. She was nervous. I was nervous. I was like, what if she slips? What if she does the wrong stroke? I don't know how this works. I'm not a very good swimmer. I mean, I just my philosophy of swimming is don't drown. That's as far as I got in swim lessons. <clears throat> so, but we were all there, the whole family, Micah, Joshua, Angela, and I, we were all there in the bleachers. We'd made a sign for her, go McKenzie, you know. We were all nervous. Every time she'd come up, when she'd take a breath, we'd yell, McKenzie. And I can yell loud. Like, I don't need this microphone. I can yell really loud. And she'd look up at the bleachers, and she saw that we were cheering her on, and that first swim meet, her relay team, her relay team came in third place. And so I was like, 
third place. That's awesome. That is, I was so ecstatic. Then I found out that that pretty much doesn't mean anything in swim meets. They don't give you ribbons. They don't give you trophies. They don't give you any sort of award until the invitational event, which is at the end of the season. And so I told her, that's dumb. And I said, if you come in top three in any event, I'm getting you a trophy. This is not a participation trophy. Work hard, but you get top three, you're going to get a trophy. And so I got her a trophy. It says Mackenzie Frazier, 100-meter freestyle, third place, Morton Ranch High School. Yes. I wanted to encourage her. I wanted to reward her for her hard work. And so she thanked me, and then she suggested I build her a trophy shelf. I'm like, you're getting a little ahead of yourself. This is just the first event, but we'll see what we can do. So she told other people how, how she was so excited that I would, you know, got her the trophy, and, and I hugged her. I told her how proud I was of her, and she said, thanks, Dad. And I could hear in her voice that my words were life and encouragement to her. I was there at the next swim meet. From the starting block, she looked up at the stands. She saw my smiling face as I yelled, Go, Mackenzie! And again, this is a closed building, and I can yell really loud. So everybody is like, Your dad's here. <laughs> She's like, She'd wave, she'd smile, and, you know, she'd get ready. And I didn't want to distract her. I didn't want to, you know, mess her up. Get, get, I didn't want to get in her head or anything. I wanted to let her know, I'm there. I'm rooting for you. And uh, we were there at every swim meet. And every time she came in top three, she got a trophy. Regardless of how many times I have messed up as a dad, my presence at events that are important to her carried a lot of weight. My absence would be noted. She'd be disappointed. It would be distracting to her if I wasn't there. And the fact that I was at every swim meet communicated to her that she is important to me. That no meeting, no conference call, no project was more important to me than she is. That my, power, my presence had power to breathe life and encouragement to her. And my absence had the opposite effect. My suggestion to you is to be fully present for your loved ones. Your family is the most important group of people in your life. One day, they will scatter. One day, the kids will move out. One day, your, your kids will be grown and move away and your grandkids with them. Your words are either life or death to them. Your presence is encouragement. Your absence is discouragement. If you love someone, be present in their lives and for the things that matter to them. You cannot go back in time and fix all of your absences. You just have to start being present. I remember my father's attendance at two soccer games in 12 years of playing the game. The very first one and the first time I started. With an average of 10 games a season, that is 118 games he missed. 
118 opportunities for my father to be present in my life and was notably absent. Don't do that to the person that you love. Be present. Attend the book fairs. Attend the meet the teachers. Attend the swim meets and the track meets and the football games and every other thing they want you to attend. And it is an inconvenience to you, but it is important to them. They want your presence. A little time, a little inconvenience to you is worth it. It's life to the person that you love. And if you think that the power of presence is not important, imagine what it would be like if God took away his presence from you. Imagine prayers unanswered, miracles undelivered, help that doesn't come. That would be terrible. God's presence is so important to our lives. He's promised us that he would never leave us and he would never abandon us. That's how powerful a present God is to us. And that's how powerful your presence is to those that you love. When your loved one asks you, are you going to this special event? What they're really asking you to do is be here now. Be with me. And the best response from you is, I wouldn't miss it from the world. I'll ask our worship team to come up. I'll give you the last point this morning. The last point for you is slow down. Slow down. We in the Houston area are always on the go. We're always checking Google Maps or Waze to see how long is it going to take. I literally check Waze every Sunday morning at 7 o'clock to see what traffic is like to get here. Okay? We're always checking. Is there an accident on the way? Is this going to cost me more time? Do I need to go a different route? We're always on the go. We're always in a hurry. We always try to beat the rush. The whole purpose of the sermon series that we've been in, the, the sermon series called In His Steps, where we've been tracing the life of Christ chronologically, which we'll pick back up on Sunday. The whole purpose of that sermon series is to slow down. To walk with Jesus as we have put this chronological study together, walking with Christ where he goes, taking steps with him, looking at each uh, story as he interacts with people, where he's walking, what he's doing, what he's saying, and specifically slowing down so that we can get everything from these passages. Slow down. It's easy for us to text before we think. It's easy for us to shoot off that email reply. Well, I'm going to let them know what I think about them. Or when we, when we reply to an email, yeah, that Johnny, man, what a worthless guy that is. And then you realize you hit reply to all. And Johnny now knows what you think of him. Johnny now knows what a worthless human being that you believe that he is. Slow down. It will save you a lot of trouble. Slow down before you put that sarcastic comment on social media. Embrace quiet. We have a lot of noise. Sometimes, you know, when we get in the car, boom, listen to a podcast, listen to audiobook, listen to Sirius XM, listen to our, our playlist, our mixtape, whatever, you know, we got to 
God, I always have something going. And we, we find that silence and quiet is almost unsettling. Why is it so quiet in here? I can hear my ears ringing. Embrace the quiet. If you have to sit in traffic and, and you need to listen to something, listen to worship music. You can listen to audio, audio version of the Bible on your phone. You can listen to audio books if you need to bring your blood pressure down. You, you can use the time to pray and pray for the people that cut you off. Jesus told us to, to pray for those who despitefully use us. They use that distance between us and the next car. to, And they're going to sit at the same stoplight we sit at. We can pray for that person. Lord Jesus, they need you desperately because they're an awful human being by cutting right in front of me. They clearly see me here. Slow down. Take a walk with a loved one or a friend. When you slow down, you eliminate noise from your life and you'll be able to hear God's voice a lot clearer. Many people who are on their deathbeds, they'll tell you they're not going to regret the parties they they missed out on. They're not going to miss all of their Instagram followers or their Facebook friends. They'll regret the more meaningful things of life, like spending more time with friends and family. So don't wait to fix what's broken in your life. Start making meaningful choices now to start this new year off right. To start the new year off having your compass pointed in the right direction. Part of being a pastor, I attend a lot of funerals um, and I walk in a lot of cemeteries. And when you do, you look around and you may see markers where other people have been laid to rest. And what, what you see is the person's name the person, they, the, the day they were born, the day they died, and in between those two dates is a little piece of punctuation, a dash. And that dash defines everything about that person. That dash defines their, all of their life, all of their accomplishments, all their hopes and dreams, all the relationships that meant something to them. Everything from birth to death is all summarized in that dash. When you walk around a cemetery, it's easy to, to think, I wonder what they did with their dash. I wonder what they accomplished with their life. I wonder what relationships they had. I wonder if people were sad to see them go or glad to see them go. Will you live in a constant state of the fear of missing out? Or will you embrace the joy of missing out on something so that you can enjoy the more important Will you live a life of purpose or will you live a meaningless life? Will you live to make a difference in the world or will you live to selfishly take as much as you can? The question, if you want to experience JOMO, you need to answer, what are you going to do with your dash? One of the greatest ways to experience joy in the moment is to make sure Christ is first place in our heart and in our mind. Be here now, in this moment, with God in His presence. We're going to end 2019 in the most meaningful way that we can, by worshiping Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? Sing with us. The worship team is going to lead us in a final song, and then we'll pray and be dismissed. But be with us now, and let's worship the Lord for just a few more moments.